Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And, and my, my trowel. trowel. Hello, and you're listening to episode 6 of And My Trow, where we look at the fantastic side of archaeology and the archaeological side of fantasy. I'm Ash. And I'm Tilly. Today, we'll be looking at Ents, the tree-like folk featured in the lore of Tolkien's Middle Earth. Um, But before we go over our compendium of beasts and learn all about things Ents, I want to introduce you to a fellow traveller here with us on our own side quest, Genoveva Demova, archaeobotanist and scribe. How are you today, Jen? I'm very well. Hi, Jen. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Ah, I feel like a little fangirl. Hi, Jen. <laughs> fangirl. <laughs> so, what's your specialism, Jen? My specialism is archaeobotany, and I'm also currently training in dendrochronology. So, it has been quite fortuitous to meet you then. It, it's great luck, yes. <laughs> I'm just curious, sorry. So so with archaeobotany, did you do so my knowledge of archaeobotany from my like colleagues at uni was people looking at pollen a lot? Is that something that you did or was it a different side of archaeobotany? It's a different side. I mo- side I mostly do macroplant material, so I look at seeds, uh, cereal grains, that sort of thing. I don't quite do the micro, micro things like the pollen. Mm, okay. Mm. I have to say it always looked very I don't want to say tedious, but it did look kind of tedious because they'd literally just be looking at these tiny little things and they'd have to be picking them out with tweezers. And I mean, I look at tiny little things, but still I was always like, oh. Yeah, it does involve a lot of tweezers. Uh, I've seen I've seen Jen over like hazelnut shells or something. I think it was like just picking things out with tweezers before. Like, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> just keep going. Like, okay. That's that's the boring part. But then once you start looking at the samples you have, and once you start finding exciting things, it can get very exciting. Hmm. So you yeah. have to look What's at the, the tiny most exciting thing that you found then. Um, the most exciting thing. Sorry, I can tell you. Immediately, because it's a project I'm currently working on. So we have five corpolites, which for the non-archaeologists, it's a mineralized shed. So we have five of them that just came up from London, from a cesspit. And in one of them, I found lots of grape seeds, which is quite exciting because you don't normally associate grapes with Britain. So we'll see if it was an import, if they were growing them there, we'll try and find out. Um, But the exciting thing is I found a big corn cocoa seed. And corn cocoa mm. is extremely poisonous. That's really, really bad news if you eat it. And obviously someone ate it because I found it in their poop. Ooh. So it's um, very hallucinogenic. This person had an absolutely horrible time. And you can actually find out a lot about the life of a random medieval person just looking at their excrement. Wow. So they, they took this cock- cockle seed, right? Mm-hmm. And then corn cocoa, yeah. 
strong cockle and they've started to hallucinate and then yeah, die. Yeah, there are all sorts of <gasps> mad stories from like medieval scribes about like there's one he went to a village somewhere in England I think and he found the whole village like they were gathered on the village square and half the village was running around in circles barking like dogs and the other village the other <laughs> half of the village was standing pretending to be drowning in the middle of the square and they think that what happened was they got corn cocoa poisoning and it's <gasps> very insidious because it's a con- contaminant of cereal grain and it's the same size as cereal grain so you can very easily miss it and just end up eating it <sighs> Oh, and wow. I guess from the sounds of it, it's not then nice hallucinations. Like it's no, not no, happy, happy hallucinations. <laughs> no. Bad hallucinations. Oh, no. I wonder what you hallucinate. That people are pretending to drag. I mean, yeah, be do- mm. goodness, the that's very exciting. They could be werewolves, <laughs> right? That make, makes sense. <laughs> it all links together. <laughs> all starting to connect, Demi. <laughs> So that's that's very exciting. What's your most frustrating thing that you find about your your topic? I think more than any, well, more than most other specialisms, we really depend on preservation. So if we have poor preservation, it really can limit how much you can tell. And like for most of my material that I look at, sometimes we get waterlogged material, but that's rare. So mostly we look at charred material. So for plant material to get charred, you need to have some sort of, uh, something needs to have gone wrong. Like, Either it's something small gone wrong, like somebody burnt their dinner, and that's why we found it, or it could be a big catastrophic event, a big fire, and that's how we end up with lots of burnt plant material. And that also means that the things that we tend to find tend to be things that end up in the fire, like cereal grains, because you need to dry them near the fire, or hazelnut shell, because you can use it as kindling. But we don't find all sorts of things that would have been very important in everyday life, like leafy vegetables or medicines are very rarely found because they don't survive. And in, when it's in the fire, does that also, I mean, depending on the kind of fire, would that affect how well you could identify it as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need a very specific type of fire so things burn nicely and don't turn to ash. Hey. Hey, that's me. Hey. <laughs> burn very nicely. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay, so that's quite frustrating then for you, that you can't find the other aspects of of a life cycle, of a, of a life ways. Yeah, it, it can be, but sometimes you get beautiful preservation. You get lots of waterlogged material, from example, from cities or from bottles of ditches. So it is sometimes, rarely, but it does happen that we have beautiful preservation. And how did you get into it? Did you want to specialize in archaeobotany or did you just kind of fall into it a little bit? I kind of fell into it. I did material culture at university and then Woo-woo. they were looking <laughs> they were looking for a post-ex technician to do flotation and sorting and look at finds and things like that. So I applied for that job and I got the job and then our archaeobotanist needed help and she was like, you're quite good. Do you want to be trained? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that's I love how so many people yeah. accidentally got into their specialism <laughs> yeah I know they tell you all the time you need to make sure you're, you're specializing in something and then people just kind of fall into it or someone mm-hmm. sees something in you and then they go oh yeah you'd be really good at this <laughs> that's fantastic so what plans are you doing in the future have you got any more sites that are coming up yeah, I've got some dendrochronology coming up, which I'm very excited about. We've got some samples from Rosling Castle that we'll try to date. So hopefully mm-hmm. that gives us a good date. And we have a huge project coming up, which I don't know how much I can talk about because it's professional archaeology. So you're meant to keep it quite secret. But a big uh, waterlogged project, which I'm mm-hmm. very excited about. Is it Mass Farm? 
<laughs> no. I'm not saying they finished with that one, haven't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's not. Is it this one? one. Is it this one? Is it this one? <laughs> tell us, tell us, tell us. Very tell cool us one. No, no, no hints, nothing. We won't, we won't tease you. No spoilers, no spoilers. No spoilers, no. But the big question is, Jen, do you enjoy reading fantasy? I love reading fantasy. Fantasy is my favourite genre in the world and I read it all the time. <gasps> ah, so what's your favourite kind of book series or favourite standalone book? Oh, this is very difficult. And I'm really glad that you told me you asked this question because I spent a lot of time thinking about it. <laughs> and I have, have settled on an answer. I'm going to go for Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Yes! <laughs> oh, Terry, you've got another disky. <laughs> I have been trying to wrangle Terry Pratchett references into every single episode. And oh, I brilliant. didn't even have to do it for this episode. And I didn't write the script for this one. So, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any. I'm so sorry. I'm all Lord of the Rings in this one. <laughs> I'm sure Jen and I could wrangle in some. Yeah, please do. It'll go exactly over my head, like completely. But <laughs> that's cool. Um, and so that's your absolute favourite. What is it about the Discworld books? I really enjoy the humour, obviously. Mm-hmm. I love the world building and I love how Terry Pratchett has all these really deep and interesting social commentary, but he mm-hmm. kind of filters it through this very absurd world and kind of that allows him to look at social problems in our world, but kind of one step distant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which on, one's your favourite? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nightwatch. Nightwatch. Oh, Nightwatch. That's, I mean, that's the deepest. <laughs> like, that's definitely the most, yeah, deep, deep thought. One, I've only deep read. Thing. I've only read one. Which one? You read Making Money, right? Making Money. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Making I mean, Money was not bad. Well. Yeah. That is yeah. a very good one too. Uh-huh. I really like that one. I also. Like I think you like the witches. The, oh yes, Ash. you would love the. I've given her Weird Sisters to read. Yes. Oh <laughs> yeah, she, she keeps telling me she'll read it, but, but she has a TBR the size of uh, yeah, <laughs> Everest. <laughs> so it's somewhere uh, in there. Yeah, and I just downloaded about fifty books, so uh, <laughs> I need to get through that quite quickly. Jen, a little end tells me that you might have a book coming out. <gasps> yes, I do. Do you want me to tell you about it? <laughs> Yes. No, nah, let's not hear about it. Let's not bother. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. That's absolutely We just mentioned fine. it for the hell of it. <laughs> is it a fantasy book? It is a fantasy book, yeah. <sighs> it's fantasy inspired by Bulgarian and Slavic folklore. And what is it called? It's called Foul Days and it's coming out next year, next June. Can we get a bit of a, like a blurb? What's it about? I can give it a go. Um, so it's about a witch who trades away her magic to escape her city, which is full of monsters, and also her monster's ex, but then immediately regrets it because she finds herself without any powers outside of the world that surrounds her city, and she finds out that the monster's ex is still after her, and now she can't defend herself. Uh, don't you just hate it when that happens? <laughs> <laughs> monstrous exes, man. Oh, what are they God, like? The <laughs> and guess what, Tilly? I was actually there when Jen was writing it. <gasps> you had the behind the scenes. And the behind the scenes. And yes, we were that. stuck together in a very small room in St. Kilda. <gasps> we were. We were both writing at the same time. Jen got his out, done, dusted, sorted, <laughs> and I'm still writing. No, it's your turn. <laughs> and how many references to archaeobotany are in the uh, book? 
not that many. I do have quite a few herbs mentioned, so the way to process the potions. So yeah, I did manage to sneak a few references. I can definitely tell you, listener, that it is a fantastic book. I've done the beta reading for it, and it's very good. So I would recommend it. I already have it on pre-order. Oh, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll also read it in our Archaea book club because that sounds like something yes. that we would enjoy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's related to historic, you know, folklore and things. So mm-hmm. It's yeah. got a lot of folklore in it, hasn't it? Yeah, maybe we could have a folklore month. Like, cool. Folklore Sorted. Done. Sorted. Excellent. Well, you really are an expert on all these things, creatures, archaeobotany. So it was very, very good that we met you in the Prancing Pony Inn then. Mm-hmm. So, Jen, we've got a situation, okay, and we really need your help with it. Both Tilly and I were commissioned by the Hobblebush Historical Society of Fangholm Forest, okay, to record the last march of the Ents. Unbeknownst to us, it was an active battle site, which, uh, you know, really messed up our archaeological research (laughs) questions. But luckily, there were no orcs in sight. Uh, The place was pretty much abandoned. Ancient weapons littered the barren earth and the scent of sulfur was like almost too much to bear. Of course, somebody brought curried haddock into the site hut for lunch. So we were all a bit out of sorts that day. That was awful. Yeah. Horrible. So we were just taking this huge sample of very charred, carbonized wood. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this huge tree started talking to us. He introduced himself as Treebeard. My jaw hit the floor. Tilly was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and he asked us to refrain from sampling his leg. Turns out, Treebeard lost a bit of his trunk through the battle. And well, we had kind of already packed it away. Mm-hmm. We explained this all to him and what had happened. He completely understood and he gave us consent to be sampled. But now we have this job to do and it's an important to the future archaeological record, but we're really stuck. So the Hopplebush Historical Society wants us to date and identify not only the fallen ends, but the living ones too. How do we go about this, do you think? I do have a few ideas. Oh, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> By the way, can I say, I just, of course, I'm a member of this as well and totally a part of this and it wasn't a scenario that Ash wrote for this podcast recording. The Hobblebush <laughs> Historical Society is the cutest name ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the um, HH, what is it? The HH is a brilliant historical society that's completely canon. Uh, I don't know. It's in the notes if you ever look at it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Tolkien totally approved of it. Yeah. I believe it was in some some quote, right, from Aragorn to, to Gandalf. It was like, oh, yes, Fangorn Forest. Nothing moves in there apart from the occasional administrator from the Hobblebush Historical Society. Yes, sending you emails every now and then, updating you on all the lectures that they're having in the newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I want to make this a real thing. We can. We Maybe have. We can. It's canon can now. Be, this is our newsletter. Okay, listeners, we have a new podcast newsletter, and it's called the Hobblebush <laughs> Historical Society. <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, exactly. sorry, I just had to chime in and say that because I really appreciated your uh, your creativity <laughs> on that one. Thank you very much. But you know, what? I'm quite hungry, so I think we mm. need to go and get a second breakfast, maybe even thirds. <gasps> I want another pint, definitely, and maybe a pie. Oh, I mean, that sounds good. My stomach's been rumbling. Yeah. So, Tilly, go on. It's your time to buy. You go up to the bar, get Hi. it, and me and Jen will he- sit here discuss a little bit we'll get settled and then we'll be right back 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, I needed that pint. Really filled my health bar back up. Now let's dive into Ents. What are they? Who are they? And where do they come from? As always, there will be spoilers for Tolkien's books, but if you haven't read or seen any Lord of the Rings media, then where have you been since 1956? <laughs> that, let's give you a quick overview of what and who Ents are. Oh, excellent. Yes. Do you know who Ents are, Tilly? Do you know what they are? Well, ah, see, I was about to say tree, but they are no tree. <laughs> this I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but they're they're the and they were told the shepherds of the forest or something i seem to remember but actually i that's sort yeah. of as much as i know really when it comes to the kind of folklore side of it yeah yeah jen do you know much about ants well i kind of have to because my speciality so Oh, yes, yeah, I know about true. Ents. True, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, if the listener doesn't know about Ents, Ents are also known as Onotrim. They are a race of Middle Earth um, who were created by Yavanna as shepherds of the trees and forests. So you're right, Tilly, they were. Yes. To protect them against orcs and other enemies, Ents are tree-like creatures who over millennia have become more like the trees that they herded. So their sizes, their colorings differ, but usually each end represents a species of tree that they look after. They were also, oddly enough, taught to speak by the elves. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, oh, interesting, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So what does an end kind of look like? We've got a couple of passages um, that I could read to you from the two towers where Treebeard pops up. Often it's Pippin, talking or recalling but basically they look like they said they found they were looking at the most extraordinary face it belonged to a large man-like almost troll-like figure at least 14 foot high very sturdy with a tall head and hardly any neck the arms were not wrinkled but it covered in a brown smooth skin the large feet had several toes on each the lower part of the long face was covered by a sweeping grey grey beard, bushy, almost twiggy at the roots, thin, mossy at the ends. But the moment the hobbits noted nothing but the eyes. They were deep eyes, now surveying them slow and solemn, but penetrating. They were brown, shot with green light. Hmm. Pippin actually recalls that he felt that there was once an enormous well behind them, filling up with ages of memory, long, slow, steady thinking. But their surface was sparkling with the present, like sun shimmering in the outer leaves of a vast tree or on the ripples of a very deep lake. Oh, so, it's making me want to read what, what they the look like. Again. <laughs> 
I know I'm just such a good reader. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <That's very good>. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, so that's what they look like. And it makes you think of ancientness, doesn't it? They're very old, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. very wise, and they know a lot. They've seen a lot. The, end, the word end actually kind of comes from Anglo-Saxon word meaning enter, which means giant. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Because they're very tall, they're Mm -hmm. tree-like, huge. And often ants or tree folk are found in other types of media. Tolkien kind of, you know, set the standard for them. But they're found in things like Dragon Age, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Chronicles of Narnia, Wheel of Time, even Marvel's Gardens of the Galaxy, Groot. He's a tree folk. I am Groot. Yeah. (laughs) I am Groot. (laughs) Or even World of Warcraft as well. So... Have you read any books other than Lord of the Rings that feature Ents? I have read Uprooted by Naomi Novik. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that one. Uprooted, that's a fantastic book. That's one of my favourite fantasy yeah, books. Yeah, it's a really good book. And yeah, the whole plot is kind of centred around these three folk that in the beginning we think were evil, but maybe they're not so evil. Yeah, that's true. They do. They kind of like, and spoilers right now for anyone who has not read Uprooted, but they kind of like consume people, if, if that's right. And there's like a mania. Yeah, that yeah, goes I on think that's it. exactly it. Yeah, I think they kind of, they take over your mind or something like that. It was very creepy. I remember it was very well described. Yeah, I've got images of them running away from them as they're like encroaching uh, yeah. on, on their, their town and stuff and fighting and there's a dragon guy and stuff it's all it's all very good actually yeah I didn't even think of that one wow Isn't yeah that's a good one some other like horror book that basically the little shop of horrors was based on with the triffids the triffids oh yeah I've read that one um what's his face uh winter is that as no 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 I, I have no idea, I must say. I, I suggested it because I was just thinking, Phoebe, you see more. But like when you were talking yes, about Phoebe. Like, but Phoebe, but, yeah, I, and I, yeah, it's The Triffids, right? It's the book that it's based yep. on. I haven't read it, but. Uh, it's yeah. very good. Yeah. Ah, what, yeah. And what do the Triffids do? What do they do? They oh, eat God. people? Uh, I honestly, I read it as a teenager, which was a few years ago now. Um, so I think I just have a very, very vivid recollection of, of one of the first scenes was this guy goes into his garden and that weird plant has turned up. And it wasn't a tree. It was like described as a sort of a weird, I don't know, almost what is it called? Fly eater plant. Yeah. Uh, was, Venus flytrap. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. So he's like a plant person. Yeah. I don't think plant they're people. Folk. I think they're like aliens who come and, yeah. and ah, try yeah. to control plants. people's minds, but they're plants, yeah. There uh. seems to be a thing where the trees control people, oh. isn't there? Well, I wonder if there's something yeah. something going on there, but that doesn't seem to be in Lord of the Rings, really, does no. it? I, I mean, guess because got- Tolkien sort of had the that he, he loved nature and he sort of mm. almost had that uh what's the word not all respect i guess respect for for forests and woodlands whereas maybe some other authors might almost have a fear of of the kind of forests and and mm. the, the vastness of them i don't know this is, this is me just going purely mm. off tangent now but uh that could be i guess sort of the how it yeah. affects the sort of two ways to look at, at trees and nature and forests and things i suppose mm. i think yeah, it's really interesting true. yeah because mm-hmm. um i think in Tolkien's description, they're pretty much just nice and good. And in a lot of other media, I can think of the trees were 
kind of threatening, not always evil, but at least there is something scary about them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Yeah, there is a fear of woodland, isn't there? I suppose uh-huh. it kind of calls back to when when we are hunter-gatherers and there's wolves and things running around the place. And the dark, I mean, the dark is terrifying. So yeah, plants mm-hmm. and stuff, unknown plants, maybe you'd eat something thinking it's cereal and then you end up going <laughs> mad, you know? <laughs> Just pretending to be a dog and run around on the village street. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just <laughs> purely, purely hypothetical. Coming <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere. But it's interesting. It makes you wonder what people in the past would have thought about trees and, and woodlands and things as well. Yeah. Whether they'd have been afraid of them or whether they'd have... Revered them. Revered them. Well, they used a lot of the wood, obviously, to make structures and stuff, didn't Mm. they? Yeah, there's there's often ones where they, like, burial sites and Neolithic kind of monuments where they they turn the roots upside down so the roots are showing. So they're quite dramatic, don't they? Mm. They put them in in big, uh, like ditches and stuff. Mm. It would have been quite terrifying in the mists and stuff to see that. I think trees and they Mm -hmm. had weren't there some trees I can't remember what time period it was from though I think it was later where they used to tie things to them or something like that it was almost like a kind of (laughs) I'm gonna say the word ritual um, (laughs) (laughs) and it still goes on in quite a lot of places today as well and I'm trying to think of where it was I think it was somewhere in Scotland, because one of my classmates, I remember at university, did her thesis on it, on these trees that kind of you you go and you'll tie a scarf or a piece of ribbon or, or something to it. And it, it's kind of the memory attached to it, but also the the feeling and all this kind of thing. So, yeah. I, and, and you had oh, my favorite. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent now. Um, my favorite was the <laughs> there's some Viking church from after they were uh, converted to Christianity. And it's on the site of another Viking site, which is also on the site of, they like dug down and they found out there was a church. And then under that was another Viking site, but like a pagan site. And then under that was this massive tree that had clearly been felled to make way. But so it was sort of like, oh, the tree was kind of already an important place. And that was why they then put this pagan site on it and then the church on it. Ah, like a palimpsest. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's that's very cool. But I mean, that's the thing, a lot of kind of early... I hate to say the, like pagan because we don't know what what yeah, they believe. No. <laughs> uh, ritual <laughs> and religion <laughs> and stuff and belief that it's often around kind of water, trees, mm. nature. Mm. It's all into the earth. And yeah, the the well, I mean, if you think Viking, Yagrasil. Yes, of course. Mm. I mean, the yeah. world tree. It's it is a sentient kind of being almost. Mm. That is the whole crux of the cosmos really and but if it's not there you know ragnarok happens and and so it's it's trees are in they connect us to the world a lot of the time don't they and they are what we would use to build our shelters and yeah yeah they're they're really a big part of human life (laughs) trees and we can't live without trees yeah, you know? I am actually wondering if that's why, like, these threatening figures of trees appear often in folklore, mythology, and then in fantasy. Because I feel like we have a bit of a like sense of guilt of how we <laughs> treat our forests. Mm. Yeah. yeah, 
Or maybe it's a way of moving away from those beliefs too. Like, mm. you know, making the tree seem scary rather than lovely, like tree beard and very polite. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Maybe it's meant to to scare you a little bit away mm. from that kind of stuff. Maybe. So you won't. Yeah, yeah, you won't go near it. Maybe. Yeah. That's yeah. very interesting. But what's what's your favorite type of uh, depiction of Ents? I mean, I love Groot. <laughs> I certainly <laughs> do. But I also love Lord of the Rings. I think it's fantastic. I mean, Treebeard is an iconic character. You know, if someone says Treebeard, I think everybody knows what he looks like. Yeah. You can see him, especially from the Peter Jackson uh, films. Although, so what's your favorite? I, I have to say, after having after you read out that section, I think you said the arms were not wrinkled but covered in brown, smooth skin. That to me really, I think probably because I'm I've now watched the films so much, even though I did technically read the books before watching the films, just because I've watched the film so much, I have that vision in my head now of Treebeard. So the thought of him with smooth skin mm-hmm. is really weird. <laughs> you think of him like a stick man with yeah, his arms. Feels like it's like, you know, like Mickey Mouse gloves on almost. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but yes, I need to think sorry, Jen, you go first because I need to think about my favorite one. <laughs> okay. Um I'm going to go for the Witcher, which we also didn't mention. <gasps> I can't remember if they're in the books, but they're definitely in the games. They are like these Slavic folklore creatures called Leshi or Lesnik, which are exactly three people. And they're usually quite threatening and scary, especially if you piss them off. And um, in the games, they are extremely hard. And well, at the start, and then they get easy, but they are quite (laughs) threatening. Yeah, that's a really good one. Oh my god, you you're coming up with all the ones here. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, which I didn't even think bottles. of which. Yeah, she's an She knows every tree. <laughs> every tree in every fantasy. Thing. Every tree, every fantasy. I'm trying to think. I did tell I you I came prepared. You did. Yeah. You did. Well done. I don't think we did. <laughs> I know, I but forgot no, about this question. <laughs> so I no, but the wit, that's a fantastic one. They are really difficult to to, to kill in the game. I remember that. Because you shouldn't kill trees. Yeah. I mean, how do, I mean, it's fire, obviously, and you'd use the... Mm. Was it the... Oh, my God, what's was the... Was it Igni? Igni. It's, yeah, it's Igni. You'd use Igni to get rid of them. Mm. Yeah, but they are quite quite hard to kill, and they're overpowered as well. I remember having to like yeah. beast up for it <laughs> to try and go for, or you know, turn the difficulty down. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, you think? Oh, sorry, carry on. No, Tilly. I'm just trying to remember. It's not a depiction of a tree, but it's sort of. Do, do you ever read the Tamora Pierce ones about? I can't remember now what the series was called. It wasn't the one with Alana, the the female knight. It was mm. like four teenagers and they basically each had a certain power over a particular element so one of them controlled water one of them controlled like fire and one of them had a like affinity with plants so he could control plants and things and that was quite oh. cool but i guess that's a bit different to plants being it's in control really cool themselves. Though. i love very- plant magic in books yeah, uh, tomorrow it's one of the tomorrow PS ones. I can find it, and we will put it in the show notes. <laughs> so. Yeah, please do, please yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. But oh, um, can you feel that? Oh, it's going like so cold in here and yes. weirdly dark. Hmm. Is that? Do you think that's one of the Nazgul again? Because oh, you. Man. You'd think they'd stop hanging around here since Sauron, but yeah, yeah. oh no, we better hurry. Uh, Jen, Tilly, get behind the bar. Okay. 
So we need to cut this episode short, um, but don't worry, we'll continue the next episode with part two. In the meantime, if there's any suggestions that people have for an episode, such as an archaeological concept that they want to explain through fantasy, or something from fantasy they want to see from an archaeological viewpoint, get in touch. You can contact us via email or social media. All the contact info can be found in the show notes. Ooh, there's mead back here. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.